I am uh, Don Thompson. I work at the uh, Christian Medical and Dental Association's headquarters in Bristol, Tennessee. I'm the director of Global Health Outreach, and um, we're going to talk about um, the biblical basis for healthcare missions. I don't know if that's the title in the program. I saw somewhere it didn't say healthcare. It just says missions, but I'm going to talk about the biblical basis for healthcare missions, if that's okay with you guys. Um, Note that. Um, I've worked in lots of medical settings, and I have uh, done that here in the States, done it in developing countries, and I've been churning and burning in many of these settings, seeing as many patients as I can. I've had colleagues who have done that, and they're just burning through seeing a patient every three minutes. And they get frustrated with that. I get frustrated with that. I had no doubt that when I was doing this medical care, I was having – I was doing temporal work. I was doing things that had little long-term significance. I treat some kid for his ear infection. He's going to get an ear infection again a month or two. I deworm him. He's going to get worms again in about two weeks. At least he's going to be manifesting them and passing eggs in about four weeks. Um, Little long-term significance is what I was feeling and hearing. Great feedback I got from other people. Same thing. What good is it? It's just temporary work. So I – and – Three minutes per patient, a lot of time to do spiritual interactions, not really. Little time to do spiritual, to have spiritual discussions. What's that take? Five minutes, ten minutes, 45 minutes? I certainly didn't have that kind of time with with a line like this outside the the, uh, door. Um, And no time whatsoever for the broader community-based or system-wide initiatives that I really thought was important for making a difference in this. In these settings, I'd then look over at the evangelism area in our clinic, and I would be envious of pastors and counselors who had, who at least had time to discuss kingdom issues. They were able to pick off people who were waiting in line. They were able to, to, to talk to people who were not just on a churn and burn, in in that mode, having to go through real fast. Now. Little did I know that those pastors and evangelists were sometimes just as envious of me and what I was doing. They knew that it was the medical worker who the people were coming to see. It wasn't often the pastor or the evangelist. They knew that the patients had to see them because they were a step in the process. They had to talk to this lady who was talking to them while they were waiting to see the doctor because the lady was sitting in front of them and they couldn't exactly get up and leave. Or they had to talk to a counselor before they could go to the pharmacy and get their free medication. So the, so the pastors were actually a little bit frustrated with that. So uh, little did I know that, that uh, there was a whole lot more to what we could be doing. God showed me a way to integrate the two. I was in a uh, setting where I was churning and burning. We had, um, oh, 200 people to see, or we had a long line, and nurse practitioner sitting next to me, and she said, she remarked, these people don't need to be seen. All they want, they've just got the aches and pains of life here in, uh, in Ethiopia where we were. And, um, and yet we still went ahead and saw them. We, we went right through and saw them all. And then the uh, next day when we were on our way out, the um, village leadership, the village elders wanted to bless us. They wanted to send us off with a coffee 
blessing ceremony, not a typical coffee ceremony, but actually a blessing. And they had this wizened little old lady with this iron pot that was filled with a slurry of, of uh, unroasted coffee and, um, and water and, and this ladle. And it looked pretty nasty, but far be it from me to say anything about that. But she would get down at the knees of the senior guy, and um, he would ladle the coffee up and down again and pour it back into the, the uh, basin. And uh, my translator was saying to me, he's blessing the ground. He's blessing the rain. He's blessing your team. He's blessing your family. He's blessing your travels. And, then, and she would go down the line to cover the three or four top people in here in this, uh, in this ceremony. The people lined up waiting for us. And then it was my turn. And I got up and um, started to talk a little bit about why we were there and what we were trying to do and, and how we shared, some of us shared faith traditions. There were people there who were Orthodox. There were people there who were, who were uh, followers of Islam. There were people there who were uh, Badonifa, the, the animist religion. And, and we all shared similar aspects to our faith because we we're all trying to work to earn favor with God. And, um, and then this guy jumped up in my face. This village leader jumped up in my face. And fortunately, he didn't have his cane in his hand because his cane could have taken my head off. But he, he uh, jumped up in my face and, and, and he said, yes, those pills that you gave me yesterday were very powerful, very strong. I took one last night and I feel almost completely better this morning. They were multivitamins, by the way. Um, and so his, what he did was he, he, because he's a village elder, he made a very supportive outburst that then supported my next few words because I um, continued to remark about how when I saw um, that bucket of coffee and the ladle that it reminded me of a story of um, the gift that God did provide us because when we, we were working our way to find favor with God, but we couldn't because we would run into this big chasm, this big valley called sin, the wrong things that we've done, and we could not get across that to be with God because of our sin. But God loved us so much that he provided a means across that. And I said, when I saw that you doing your, your ceremony and blessing us with this, it reminded me, of the gift that God gave us, because the gift that God gave us was his son, Jesus Christ. And the night before he gave his life, before he paid that price of death for us, he held up a cup and he poured it out. He said, I, I will pour this out tomorrow for you as I, laid, as I ladled coffee out. So I saw the, the way that it's possible to integrate what we're doing medically and what God is saying to do on the, on the spiritual aspect of communicating truths across those, uh, those cultural divides. They were listening. Um, they were obligated to listen, but they also wanted to listen because we had, uh, we had showed that we cared about them. So was this bridge building? It certainly, certainly was bridge building. Laying groundwork. Yes, it certainly was laying groundwork. A targeted presentation, very much so, because it contained nuggets of the gospel. This will not stay up here. I'm confident of that. It, it contained nuggets of the gospel um, 
for people who were already listening to such things. It scratched their itch where they were listening. So our goal in medical missions is kingdom work. Now, fortunately, there's a kingdom instruction manual that has a clear end in mind, and that end is make disciples. So there, there are a few guidelines in the scriptures, and here are the great commissions. These are plural. We, uh, we know the first one pretty well. Matthew, in Matthew 28, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. Mark has a very short version of that. He said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Proclaim the gospel. Luke, a longer passage, um, he says, Christ says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses And the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And here is the commissioning part. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of these things. John 20, 21 through 23, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Acts 1, 8, you'll receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So the great commissions are go, teach, baptize. While you are, it's it's make disciples while you are going, while you are teaching, while you are baptizing. That's the way the the verb tenses work out in the Greek. Now, health is not specifically uh, mentioned in the Great Commission. I don't see anything about medical care in those five passages that I just showed you. But it's certainly mentioned a few other places in the scriptures. So let's look at some uh, kingdom-focused factors that are relevant to us as followers of Christ, certainly should be relevant to us. So factor number one is service to the needy is a characteristic of the kingdom of God. Service to the needy is a characteristic of the kingdom of God. So here are a few passages. Deuteronomy 24 You shall not pervert the justice to an alien and orphan, or take a widow's garment in pledge. But you shall remember, this is key, you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Anybody in here been redeemed by anything? Anything come to thought? Make that, make that link there. Make that connection. Therefore, because you have been redeemed, you guys have been redeemed, you who have been redeemed have been redeemed, Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. So here's a command for you from Deuteronomy 24. That's a long time ago, but it's a command for you if you have been redeemed. When you reap your harvest in the field and have forgotten a bit of wheat in the back 40, leave it there. Don't go back to get it. It shall be for the alien, the foreigner, who is an outcast in your culture, by the way, 
for the orphan, the person who has nobody to protect them, to provide for them, and for the widow. In order that, in order that, that's very strong three words, in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. What a deal. You do this in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. You can take that to the bank, literally. Psalm 68.5 drives home this point of widows and orphans a little bit more. God is a father of the fatherless and a judge for the widow is God in his holy habitation. The fatherless, someone who's lost that sense of protection, that person of protection, God is a father of the fatherless. A judge for the widow, he provides righteousness and justice for the woman who has lost her link to society and that culture, her husband. God is a father to the fatherless and a judge for the widow. And the third one on here is uh, Isaiah 9.17. Remember the context. We're gonna, you're going to be reminded of this in a few months when we get a little closer to Christmas. Remember Isaiah 9.6. What's it say about the Messiah? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You probably heard that somewhere in the past. The context of this verse is swinging just to the opposite because it brings out a curse for people who did not follow um, God. And, And it says, therefore, the Lord does not take pleasure in their young men, nor does he have pity on their orphans or their widows, for every one of them is godless and an evildoer, and every mouth is speaking foolishness. In spite of all this, his anger does not turn away, and his hand is still stretched out. So this is talking more about God's just, his judgment apart from the blessings of the Messiah that were listed just back in verse 6. Because this is a time, Isaiah is talking about a time when the people have completely rejected God. So you can, you can play Calvin. Anybody in here remember Calvin and Hobbes? I guess Julian, you and I are the only ones that are old. Okay, there are a few. Um, The rest of you can just Google it some other time. Um, This is Opposites Day. So look at this verse, and it's Opposites Day. Calvin did Opposites Day a lot. So so look at just the opposite. Um, Now, we are in a different time period. We're in a different dispensation right now. But this this contrast drives home the point that we're to serve the needy. Okay, so... Service to the needy is a characteristic of the kingdom of God. Got that. Next is medical work. Medical work is singled out by Christ as a sign of the coming Messiah. So now we get into medical work a bit. So we'll look at uh, a couple of verses here that are remarkably familiar. Luke 4, 17 through 19. This is where, where Jesus is making his first appearance back home, starting to stir the pot a little bit. He goes into the synagogue and the... And the uh, Assistant gives him the scroll, and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written. And where it was written is in Isaiah 61.1, the next passage in here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's a bold statement. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me. He anointed me. Who gets anointed? Kings get anointed. He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, 
recovery of sight to the blind. I think that's medical. At least most of my ophthalmologist friends would think so. To, te- to set free those who are oppressed. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And boy, is that last line packed with meaning. The favorable year of the Lord. By the way, I'd, I recently heard of some uh, Syrian refugees who had a refugee camp in Jordan. And they had a number of sources in this camp to get food. Lots of people were providing food, and so they could go to different places to get their food. And uh, someone who worked with one of the evangelical groups in this camp was handing out food. And they asked an obviously Muslim family why they had come to the church to get their food instead of going to the mosque that was just down the road. Because both of them had the same food. Both of them were handing it out. They were, And the, and the, the dad said, at the mosque, all we get is a potato. Here, we get a potato and hope. Did you know you can offer hope just in the way you hand someone a potato? You don't pray with them. You may not say anything else, but they understand the hope that you're offering. So Isaiah 61.1 I just talked about. Remember, he had the audacity in Luke to say, after he finished reading that, he put it down, he put the scroll down, he went and sat down. He said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The people who listened to him had no doubt what he was claiming. He rubbed it in a little bit. You go back and read that sometime. He rubbed it in a little bit, and then they tried to stone him because they knew he was claiming to be the Messiah. So he's very clearly claiming to be the Messiah. A sign of the coming Messiah is someone who preaches the gospel to the poor, has um, proclaims release to the captive, recovery of sight to the blind, sets free those who are oppressed, proclaims the favorable year of the Lord. Isaiah 11.4, this is where Isaiah is speaking of the shoot that springs from the stem of Jesse, on whom the spirit of the Lord rests. So this is another messianic prophecy. And it reads, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. So the Messiah is providing righteousness, he's providing justice, and providing fairness for all the afflicted. And then the last one in here is Matthew 11. John's disciples saw all of Jesus' actions. Remember, Jesus just showed up on the scene. John, the baptizer, had been on the scene for a while. And they, but they knew all these messianic prophecies. They were pretty familiar with Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 11.4. So they went to Jesus and they said, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for, an, for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, What do you think? Look at the evidence. He says, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Lepers cleansed. Death hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. Some pretty big claims there. A number of them are medical which I like to see because that reassures me. So, first point was service to the needy is a characteristic of the kingdom of God, service to the needy. Medical work is singled out by Jesus as a sign of the coming Messiah. 
And then the third one, medical work, is singled out as a divinely appointed ministry. Divinely appointed ministry. So you can still do medical work, not as the coming Messiah. That position has been taken, thank God. But a divinely appointed ministry. And this is towards the end of Jesus' teaching on earth before he goes to the cross. Matthew 25, he's telling a parable, um, one of three parables. He says, um, the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. For I was hungry and you gave me a potato. That's all. You just gave me a potato. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me a cup of water. You gave me something to drink. That's all. Just gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. That's all. You showed me a bit of hospitality. I was naked, and you clothed me. You just gave me an old pair of shoes. I was sick. And you visited me. You traveled for two days and you brought me vitamins and pills for worms. You visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. You didn't treat me like an outcast, like everyone else does. And then in verse 40, at the end of that that, uh, passage, the king will answer, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, You did it to me. It doesn't have to be perfect like you provide in your offices and your practices back home every day. You just have to show that you care. James, who was related to Jesus, says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. Now, where have we heard that before? Most of the other Slides here. It keeps talking about widows, orphans, widows, orphans, needy, 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 outcasts, unprotected. Pure and undefiled religion is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. James 2, 14 through 17. And this is implied above. What use is it if somebody says they have faith? But they have no works. Can the faith save him? Well, if you want to get technical, are you saved by your works? No, you're saved by grace. Not by your faith. You're saved by grace. Thank God that God has the grace to give us the faith to trust in him for the grace, for the salvation that he's already given him. But if a brother or sister is in need of clothing, need of daily food, one of you says, go in peace. Be warmed. Be filled. And yet you don't give them what's necessary for their body. What use is that? Come on. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead. Is dead faith being by itself. So what's the big deal? What are we called to do? First, we need to acknowledge that we have unique responsibilities as healthcare professionals. We are to be righteous stewards of the skills of the training, of the experience that God's given us. We've got to acknowledge that. We've got unique responsibilities. When we're involved in any type of mission, of any 
type of missions. We have to be different. We need to be different. Remember, the potato or the potato with hope. Our goal is different than secular groups who are involved in humanitarian assistance or development work. Since we're doing our work in service to God, we need to take a look at what he says about our work and about him. Now, God's goal is to uphold and display his glory. His goal isn't to glorify us or to make us look good. God's goal is to uphold and display his glory for the enjoyment of all of those who are redeemed by Jesus Christ from every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation. That's God's goal, to uphold and display his glory. We should be pointing people to him and to his redemption whenever we can. The way God glorifies himself is through our worship of him, our prayer to him for a number of things, our service, and, sorry, our suffering. Now, I'll tell you that I don't always feel like I'm worshiping or glorifying God when I'm trying to get through customs with all my medications, doing a little tap dance, or trying to get past an immigration officer, or struggling with diesel fumes and cigarette smoke and 100-degree heat on the open sea. I don't think you can see the cigarette in the captain's mouth in this particular shot. But it was there when he was bending over into the bilge, filling the gas tank from other gas cans. Um, But I don't really feel like I'm worshiping or glorifying God when I'm doing that. I'm usually feeling the pain in my back, the pain in my head, and the pain in my neck. You can see the, the pain in the hip of the person over whom I'm taking this picture and my knee because I'm laying flat on my back for the three hours of this. Uh, or I'm not feeling like, like worshiping or glorifying God like I'm doing that when I'm watching our Frontier Church planting partner, who is the guy there on the left looking at me he, next to the guy t- holding the uh, red bag. He's negotiating, I put that in quotes, he's negotiating with all those guys around the table who were the media in that area. They were the hostile media, and they were trying to, uh, they were going to write a story, and they were trying to uh, get them, get him to help them write a good story. And, of course, that would mean greasing their palms with some money. So it wasn't feeling like worshiping or glorifying God. I'm, I'm standing there praying for him more than anything else. But you know what? It doesn't really matter what I think. God says he is glorified when I obey him, whether that's in praying or in service or suffering. God says that that glorifies him. He's glorified when I follow him where he calls and when I care about his needy people. He's glorified when I, a white, non-Muslim, American male, show my midwife assistant, who is the second from the left in that photo. Her name is Tia. She's a very good friend. She's our daughter number 31, by the way, dear. We've got a lot of daughters around the world. When I show her that I care about her patients, because we had a 
um, we figured out we had a young lady come in, 19, 20-year-old girl from one of the outer islands. This was already an outer island, and she came from even an outer, outer island, that her missed periods and then her very heavy period was probably a spontaneous miscarriage because she was having sex with a guy who loved her then left her. Where have we heard that before? But we cared about that. We cared about that. She showed, she knew that I cared enough to have the 19-year-old girl's 27-year-old sister leave the room, and we closed the door, and we closed the window to make it quiet. And then I asked her how much um, before, well, actually after the girl had left, how much um, of this is going on here? Is there a, lo- is there a whole lot of uh, premarital sex? Is there a whole lot of extramarital sex going on? She said, there didn't used to be, but now we're, we're starting to see it a whole lot. And Tia's just 27, 28 years old. So she's close enough to that age range that she knows what it's like to be embarrassed when your family member is around. But that was glorifying God because I was showing that I cared. And I was showing it to Tia, that I cared about Tia's um, patient. And then we also suffered suffered together because the uh, government officials um, wouldn't let us use any of the medications or any of the vitamins that we brought from the U.S. There was a pretty big power struggle that the media had a significant influence on. Now, Tia happened to get the vitamins that she needed, but not when we were watching. Anyway, God's glorified in all of this. You know why? You know how I know God's glorified in all of this? Because he says he is. Because I was obeying him. I was praying. I was serving I don't know about suffering, but God says he's glorified in all of this. And how good is that? So I do all these things to be a responsible steward, to care for widows, to care for orphans, to care for others who have been cast away, and to open doors for our church planting partners. Each of these actions, each of these actions proves that Christ is supremely valuable, even when things don't go well from my earthly perspective. And they often don't. So why do we do missions? We do missions to bring glory to God. The purpose of missions is to bring glory to God through Christ. I'm quoting John Piper, to bring, by bringing the nations, all the nations, into white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. By telling them about his redemption in a way that means something, that resonates with them, communicating it in a way that they understand it. Now, I may not be the one who mentions Christ in some of these settings, but our church planning partners certainly do. In another site, our pharmacy translator was able to share the good news and lead a family to cross over. Now, if you've ever worked in the pharmacy and, and some of our sites, you know it's usually chaos. It's loud. There are about a billion people there. Um, not a place that you can have a whole lot of quiet evangelism. I helped in that particular setting because I was a roadblock elsewhere in the, in the uh, process. We had lots of people come in who just had aches and pains, and I triaged out many of them into a, a physical therapy class where I was up there teaching teaching them McKenzie back stretching neck and back stretching exercises, having 30 or 40 people, you know, doing all kinds of exercises that are frankly going to have a whole lot more benefit on their back than the ibuprofen that I was going to give them for a little while. We were able to keep the lines down enough that the 
that one or two people would go into the pharmacy at a time so the pharmacy um, was not overwhelmed. And the, and the CP guy from that village was the translator in the pharmacy. He knew who you could talk to and who you couldn't talk to. And he was able to share the good news and lead a family to cross over. And the only people who were listening were a Muslim family who were sitting in line on the margins, but they were paying attention with rapt ears listening. And it was just them. It wasn't 40 or 50 people. So you have community pressure. It was one family listening to one other family. A few weeks ago, I was learning from a local malnutrition project worker. She's a nutritionist. How she teaches forgiveness to the mothers in her behavior change class. Now, this was... This is in a, uh, another country where people look like that. And, um, and I don't mean the couple who look like me. They're from Switzerland. Um, but the other two folks. And um, so she's a, she is a, a nutritionist. And the, one of the, she said the reason people have nutrition, ba- the reason babies are malnourished isn't because of poverty. It's because they value age and so the grandparents eat first and they eat their fill and then the parents eat and she said and the moms are always overweight and so they eat quite a bit and then if there's any food left over then the kids get to eat and the kids have often already gone to sleep and they don't wake them up to eat so kids are not getting an evening meal and I I still don't understand where the role of forgiveness came in but but forgiveness was a very important part of what they were teaching behavioral change using something called positive deviance and um, and I asked her when I first met her to, I said, I'd like to hear more about that. I'd like to hear how you teach people. Not tonight, but before I leave. And I was going to leave in a, few day, in a few days. So we were sitting on her living room floor. This is in her living room, eating beef and couscous with our hands. So I was sitting on her floor without my shoes on, out of uncomfortable for me, and then eating with my hand, which was uncomfortable for me. Fortunately, her husband ate with a spoon, so I was able to get a spoon also. She was, she was showing hospitality, and I was accepting her hospitality. Very, very, very important in that, in that culture. Probably important in our culture, too. I should accept more hospitality. But I was honoring her by accepting her hospitality. And then we got into storytelling, and I told her a story about a king whose servant owed him $6 billion. And the servant begged for forgiveness, and so the king granted him forgiveness, amazingly. And then the servant went out and encountered a debtor who owed him 50 bucks and had him thrown into prison when he could not pay. And then the word got back to the king, who who then had the servant thrown in prison because the great forgiveness he had just experienced did not lead to a more merciful heart. Now, I didn't read that out of John 11 or 14 or wherever it is, but I just told it from memory just like that. And so my partner, the guy there, second from the left, who speaks French, he was translating what, just what I was saying in French. And I told, I told um, the lady where, where, who told this story, I said, I said Jesus, Isel Masi says this in the Angel, Jesus the Messiah says this in the Gospels. In the, in the Bible. Um, and, and she said, that is a fascinating story. I'm going to use it. And, and then she spoke of another thing that uh, she's doing to drive behavior change is, 
encouraging mothers about their value, the value of caring for children, because children are just not um, valued as much in this culture. And so, so she really focused on encouraging mothers. And I encouraged her about the value of mothers with a story that I had heard. Again, this is a culture where, where storytelling is key. Storytelling is how many truths are communicated and retained and passed through generations. And I knew that if I told her this story and she told it to 12 moms, it was going to probably get to 60, 70, 80 people within a few days. Um, I told her of about how God compares himself to a loving hen who protects her chicks under her wing. And I mentioned another story related to that that I don't think is in the scripture, but it uh, it was a story of about a chicken who was found dead after a flash fire had gone through an area. A, a brush fire just came through so fast, and then when firefighters were going through afterward, they saw all all the devastation. They saw the body of that dead hen that was just laying there on the ground, and they picked it up to throw it in the trash, and they found four live chicks under the wing of that mother hen. The mother hen could have flown away when the fire was coming, but she didn't. She gave her life to protect. What a great life when someone would actually give their life to save someone else. Know any stories like that? God says that this zeal for the glory of God with a servant spirit and a heart of mercy motivates world missions. So here's the model for how our worship brings glory to God. Christ came in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for God's mercy. Christ came in order that the Gentiles, not the Jews, the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And that's in Romans 15. Verses 8 and 9. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, the Jewish people, on behalf of the truth of God, to confirm the promises given to the fathers. And for the Gentiles, that would be most of us here, to glorify God for his mercy. So Christ came, Christ became a servant for three reasons. Number one is to show God's truthfulness. See that in there? On behalf of the truth of God. Second reason, to confirm God's promises. And third, in order that the nations might glorify God for his mercy. So how do we do missions? We do missions with a passion for God and a willingness to suffer with Christ. When we show mercy, we're reflecting God's mercy. When we show mercy, we're reflecting God's mercy. How deep is God's mercy? I read somewhere about a thousand generations. The merciful, loving kindness of the Lord goes through a thousand generations. That's in Exodus 34. Our passion for God should fuel missions because God's passion for God fuels missions. Missions is the overflow of our delight in God because missions is the overflow of God's delight in being God. I know that sounds a little confusing, It's being repetitive, but the point is God. You can read John Piper for this. Um, What's the name of the book? Let the Nations Be Glad. So God is the focus, not us. 
God is the focus, not the lost. That's a pretty profound, challenging statement. That got your attention. You were starting to doze off, and I woke you right up. God is the focus, not the lost. Could this mean that God is glorified through other ways, through other means than salvation of sinners? Think about this. I mean, that's not what I learned in Sunday school. It could certainly change our approach. God is the focus. God is the focus. Listen to how God describes this. Back to one of my favorite books, Isaiah 48. For the sake of, now I'm going to count personal pronouns in this verse. For I, for the sake of my name, I delay my wrath and for my praise, I restrain it for you. I'm not going to count those pronouns. In order not to cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will act. And how can my name be profaned? For my glory, I will not give to another. I count 13 personal pronouns. So any question about the focus of God's work, God's glory? Is it all about you? How about you millennials in here? Is it all about you? You guys get a bad rap. I've met some great millennials. I think we have a few, don't we? (laughs) Sorry, this is my wife. Where do we do missions? To all the nations. All nations, all tribes, all peoples, all tongues. So what's God's perspective in light of this, these verses in Isaiah 48? The task of missions may not merely be to win as many individuals as possible from the most responsive people groups of the world, but rather to win individuals from all the people groups in the world. Maybe it means something more to pull people from every people group Maybe you end up with a million instead of two million from an easy people group. Maybe. Could that make sense with the things we've, re- we've just read? It may be that laborers are to leave a fruitful, reached people in order to labor among a possibly less fruitful people. So when you're asked, well, why are you going over there? You know, 95% of seminary grads stay right here. I don't mean Louisville. I mean right here in the U.S. 95% of seminary grads from at least one particular seminary where I heard this statistic, it's probably pretty broad, 95% stay right here in the U.S. So maybe we're to go labor among a possibly less fruitful people. That's why we travel 22 hours by plane to get to that little city on the left that you can't really read its full name. And then 15 more hours on on three different ferries to reach people. Why? Because God says to do so. Diversity of peoples glorifying God magnifies his glory. Diversity was his idea in the first place. 
the more diverse the people groups who forsake their gods to follow the true God, the more visible is God's superiority over all his competitors. Let me say that again. The more diverse the people groups who forsake their gods to follow the one true God, the more visible is God's superiority over all his competitors. Here's the verse that supports that, Psalm 86.9. All nations. You go back and look at the Hebrew here to see what all means. It means all. In honesty, I did not go back and do that. But I heard somebody who had looked at all in Hebrew, and that's what they had to do. But I'll check right afterward. I can look that up. All nations whom you have made shall come. They're going to come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. This is why we work, and this is why we do it in tough areas. People are lost. Cultural settings can be very oppressive and unjust. Faith traditions can limit any open receiving of the truth of the gospel. And you don't have to go away to find faith traditions that limit open receiving of the truth of the gospel. Movement can be painstakingly slow. Risks can be high. Risks are high. We just went through that last, last month in one of these sites with uh, six armed, masked gentlemen who came in at 3 o'clock in the morning and got a little rough. Risks are high. We want to restore the glory of God to its rightful place in worship. And we want to rescue sinners from everlasting pain. Compassion does that. Compassion pursues the rescue of perishing sinners from the wrath of God. Compassion pursues the rescue of perishing sinners. They're going to perish. They're streaming into hell. As they stream into hell, may it at least be with our fingerprints, our arms wrapped around their ankles trying to pull them back. That's called compassion. I heard a guy, I read of a guy, um, some comedian, if I said his name you'd probably recognize it, but I don't even remember it. This guy was an atheist, and he wrote, he was quoted as saying that my friends who believe in Christ, the ones who are really my friends, of course they're going to try to evangelize me, they're going to try to get me to believe because that tells me that they're serious about what they believe. If they don't care about me, then they're not serious. I mean, if I'm out in the middle of the highway and a truck's barreling down on me, are they going to come and tackle me and try to get me out of the street to protect me from that risk that they see coming down? That shows that they really care about me. If they're not even going to try to share their faith with me, then it's because they don't care about me. This guy was, a, this guy was an atheist. He was an adamant atheist. And he appreciated people like you and me who would share our faith with him. So, 
compassion pursues the rescue of perishing sinners from the wrath of God. Our compassion can warn about pain, and our compassion, our potato, with hope, can lure people to the pleasure, to the pleasures, to the many pleasures of knowing Christ. So what's the bottom line here? Healthcare missions. Preach and heal. Preach and heal. Not just preach, not just heal. Preach and heal. Proclaim and serve. Share and visit. So what are the key takeaways? Each of us should pray that God will bring people into contact with us who are struggling with soul issues. And in healthcare, the healthcare setting, we can get into soul issues really fast, like about 30 seconds. I mean, how long does it take for you to build a relationship with one of your friends where you can start talking about soul issues in a secular setting? It may take forever, but when I have somebody come into my office with, and they're starting to share things, we can go really deep, really fast. Pray that God will bring people into contact with you who are struggling. And then prepare to share with them. Prepare. Get comfortable with describing your own relationship with Christ. Learn how to identify openings and how to lead into spiritual discussions with others. There are some great recent books that have come out um, in just the last year or two about this. One guy wrote that we should preach the gospel to the Christians and we should disciple the non-Christians, which is kind of backward from the way I've learned it. You preach the gospel to the non-believers and you you evangelize the non-believers and then you disciple the believers. And he was saying just the opposite of that. One is because of the way we live. We're not... We need to hear the gospel over and over and over and over again because of the way we're living. Because we're not living as if we're really redeemed. And then God changes people's hearts. Is it those three or four questions that you ask that bring somebody over to cross over? What, what is it that changes people's hearts? What's Jeremiah say? What's Hebrews say? It's the Spirit. The spirit regenerates. The spirit turns that heart of stone into a heart of flesh. You will run into people whose heart of stone has been turned into a heart of flesh. And they may need to hear one little tiny something. Or they may need to hear more of God's love for them in an intellectual fashion over the course of a year as the spirit softens their heart. I don't know. My, my, eye, my sheep detector, my eye sheep, my sheep detector app for my iPhone is not working well yet. So I don't know where people are in that, in that transition. But I look for openings and, and I lead into spiritual discussions. I had a great time with these, this, uh, these ladies um, in this country um, last month where we talked about that. Look for and pray for opportunities to talk about these soul issues. When you hear somebody come in and they use the word fear, or they use the word anxiety, or they use the word worry, those should be bring it on signs to you. Okay, now I'm going to talk about fear. Do you know how many verses are in the scriptures that address fear? I don't remember, but I think somebody I think I saw somebody count them up and it was like 142. And it was not just fear of the Lord, 
is a beginning of wisdom. It was about God relieving fear or God addressing your fears. It's not just one or two. You don't have to read between the lines. Anxiety. Anybody know any verses about anxiety or anxious? How much should we be anxious for? I asked our guy there in Moldova, who was very, very, very anxious. I said, what are you supposed to be anxious for? And he started rattling off a whole bunch of things. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's Philippians? Right. So when you hear fear or anxiety or worry, there is your opening. Be prepared for that. Always be ready to take someone to the foot of the cross. You may not be doing it in one visit. You may not be the one who's doing it. But you get them a little closer to the foot of the cross. And believe me, the Holy Spirit's doing the work. But learn how to move from where they are to the spiritual and soul issues that are beneath. Pray that God will do this. So, we don't have to look hard for scriptural support for for preaching and for healing, for doing them in a combined fashion. We've got great demonstrations. We've got great promises that God will enable this. And we've got some pretty strong exhortations that this is the task. May we all be up to this task. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for making it so abundantly clear of your love, of your merciful loving kindness, of your justice and your mercy. Thank you for being a righteous, loving God. Thank you for being a compassionate God. I just pray for each and every person here that you will prepare them. You will bring people into contact with them, people who are struggling with soul issues. God, I ask that you make many people struggle with soul issues, people who do not know you. Show them their gap, even if they don't understand that that gap that's causing them to have struggles. Bring them into contact with these, my brothers and sisters who are here in this room with me. Prepare all of us to identify them and to get comfortable with describing your love for each of us. Show us how to identify openings. Show us how to lead discussions that lead people to know you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming. I'm going to do this again tomorrow. Don't come. It'll be the same. I am going to do two other ones on two other things. So in a shameless sense of advertising, come and, come and listen. Thanks. Did you say this is going to be recorded? Yes, they're all being recorded. The audio will be posted on the medicalmissions.com website. The slides will be up there, but they will be – I won't put any of the pictures up there, and I, I go through and sanitize again. So, and if you have questions about specifics that I intentionally evaded, then come on up and ask, and I'll be glad to answer.